I grew up with faith and I do think that my life has a purpose and maybe it's not what I thought it was going to be, but I think that that does help me at some, at some junctures with this disease is just that like, you know, it's, this isn't how I would have chosen my life to turn out at all, but you know, maybe there's, maybe this is my way of sort of fulfilling my life's purpose and trying to raise awareness for these rare diseases that really do, they really actually need it. And I would never have like raised my hand to do this, but someone has to. That's Gabe Grunewald, and this is episode 31 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and I'm super excited to have you joining me for this week's episode with one of running's most impressive power couples, Gabe and Justin Grunewald. Gabe is one of the top middle distance runners in the United States. She has run 401 for 1,500 meters and was fourth at the Olympic trials in that event in 2012. In 2014, she won a national title in the 3,000 meters, and she has been competing at the top of the sport for close to 10 years now. But beyond all that, she's got an incredible story, one that involves a near-decade-long battle with adenoid cystic carcinoma, which is a rare, incurable form of cancer that's returned four times since she was originally diagnosed in 2009. She's had multiple surgeries, she's had chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and has just generally been on a crazy roller coaster ride with the disease since the age of 22. Justin, her husband, he is a super solid runner in his own right. He's qualified for the Olympic trials and the marathon and is now a budding trail and ultra runner who I've been fortunate to coach for the last year or so. By day or night, rather, he's a doctor. He works long shifts in the hospital and has a very intimate understanding of the seriousness of Gabe's condition. It was a real treat to sit down with these two recently. We talked about all kinds of stuff from how they met as student athletes at the University of Minnesota to Justin's recent foray into trail and ultra running and what Gabe thinks about this silly sport of ours. We got into Gabe's health situation, what she's been through over the past two years, how her relationship with running has evolved during that time, and the competitive goals that she still has for herself moving forward. We talked about her role as an advocate, starting the Brave Like Gabe Foundation, coaching Chip Gaines for his first marathon earlier this year, uh, and what it's like for Justin as an MD to be so close to Gabe's situation on both a personal and professional level. We talked about the power of positivity, uh, trying to live life to the fullest, what Gabe and Justin hope people take away from her story, and so, so much more. I won't spoil the rest for you. It's a great conversation. Just listen to it. You will love it. I promise. So without further ado, here we go with Gabe and Justin Grunewald. I think Justin might be the sweatiest runner I've ever met in my entire yeah. life, if That's we're being honest. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think, uh, I think we are good to go here. It's great having you at my kitchen table, but Justin and Gabe Grunewald, welcome to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I know why you're here. Why don't you tell my listeners what brings you to California? Yeah, so a little over a year now, probably, uh, Gabriel had the idea. I was starting to do some trail running, and she mentioned a guy named Mario and said she heard he does a little coaching. So I think randomly wrote you a message through the website. And from that point, you started giving me some workouts. We decided to do North Face 50K last year, which was awesome. First experience in the headlands. And 
maybe wasn't 50k ready yet, but now a year removed, came on vacation with the wife to enjoy some more training out here and first annual mini training camp mini training camp yeah (laughs) in eo which has been amazing i mean got more verdant probably the last three days than i have in the last month combined so yes works well gabe what do you think of this whole ultra running business I think it's very cool and interesting. I'm not going to lie. When Justin told me that he was interested in running farther than a marathon, I questioned like what that meant. I didn't know what it was all about, but we can definitely attribute our interest in ultra running to my friend Ladia Albertson Junkins, who moved out to the Seattle area a few years ago. She's my best friend from college and was a very good runner, but definitely has ventured into running far on the trails, which is intriguing. And I feel like she had a lot of success in cross country in college and has just always been good at, you know, a variety of distances, but definitely uh, she's very good at the challenging terrain, especially. And I think Justin is kind of similar in that. So I think he just wanted a new challenge. And so it's cool, but definitely something I am unfamiliar with, but I've been trying to learn more about. Justin, why don't you tell my listeners what attracted you to ultra running or why you wanted to explore it? I think the main attraction was probably the beauty of just the trails themselves. I mean, wherever you are, running on the side of the road is great and enjoyable, but when you kind of go get lost in nature, you can it's 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 much more meditative to me. Um, everyone has their thing they love to do, but you can be running, as I said today, I think I ran nine minute pace for 14 miles, which if five years ago, I would tell myself I was going to run nine minute pace for 14 miles. I'd assume I was walking with crutches or (laughs) doing something else, but it's the one sport where you're climbing 2000 feet and it hurts kind of the first hundred feet and then it continues to press and you really have to test yourself and challenge yourself and every challenge every terrain every environment is different which is vastly different from running on the track or running on the roads and i just enjoy the variability and the unsure every race you never know what's going to come and it's pretty exciting yeah for my listeners who don't know your background is in marathoning and even before that you're in collegiately at Minnesota. So you've done the whole distance running thing and kind of come up through the ranks. What have been some of the biggest things you've learned in the last year that you've been pursuing ultra running and that we've been working together? Yeah, I think the hardest thing to learn is like when you're running a track race or running a road race, even. I mean, there's the hills you'll find on a road unless you're running a mountainous road are few and far between comparatively. And you just have to learn patience and you have to learn like even being a fan of the sport more so you can be having the worst day of your life and ready to drop out at five miles of a hundred miler and then something can turn around and you can win the race. It just patience I think is just the most important thing. And then delayed grat glorification, I guess. Mm-hmm. Gratification. Glorification. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Make up words. Thinking about that podium that you're eventually going to land but on. Not glorification. Even, yeah, not even the podium. Just like the glory of like 
finishing, finishing something you didn't know you could do and like something you've never done before. Like I can run 26 miles a million times over, which is hard. And I think that's another person's hundred mile race, which we've experienced. Gabriel like coaches some people that aren't running much at all in a very, it's very important, but like for them, it's like 13 miles. Cause they're hundred mile. miles. Right. right. And I'm learning what my distance is that maybe I can't attain. You finished your first 50K earlier this summer after dropping out of North Face last year. How did it feel to get that monkey off of your back? It felt great. I mean, aside from the only annoying part of trail running when you're married to your GPS watches, when it says like 27 miles and you assume you're coming close to the finish and then all of a sudden you're at the finish line. Um, it still, I mean, you question if you can do it every time out, I think, and it's learning to use your energy in a correct manner. But once you get there, it was a huge weight off the shoulders and just to have the energy to go that far makes a big difference and it builds confidence hugely. Gabe, you were there for his 50K this past summer. What were your overall impressions of the scene and the community? Yeah, I thought it was really cool. I have not spectated a ton of trail running in my life. I wasn't out here last year for your uh, 50K attempt. But I thought it was really an awesome sort of display of endurance and athleticism and persistence. And I think you see a lot of different people who have a lot of different goals on the day and they can come together on the same course and sort of try to check off their boxes together. I thought it was really, it was really cool. And I think for me as someone who comes from the track and I often do my races in a different setting, it's just, you can still see the commonalities and the parallels between every different type of running and sort of those, those experiences that are universal. But um, yeah, obviously if you're running longer, it's, it's just like, dragged out through a different, you know, it's like over hours instead of minutes, which is like crazy to me. Um, but yeah, it was fun to be sort of at the finish line and having no idea where you were and just trying to guess your pace and like, she was ready to send a search party. No, I wasn't. No, but your brother and I were cheering for you and we knew what you came through, like at the halfway point, but you definitely died the second half. So we were waiting for a long time, but, um, it's was awesome when we finally saw you coming and people seem to be excited about what you were able to do out there. So it's always fun to cheer. And there's like, I don't know. I just like the, the vibe of the trail community. Lots of people just hanging out, you know, trying to support the runners. Um, but it was, it's definitely fun, but it's a different side of running for me. Did it spark any interest that maybe, maybe someday you might like to dip your toes in that water? Sure. I think, I think it's definitely interesting. And I, Justin likes to say that I, I like hate trails and I hate running uphill, but I don't think that's true. I just don't think that it's been, it's not always easy for me to fit that type of running into my goals and my training plan. Sure. So I don't think it's that I. And you love to run fast. Yeah, I do. But fast is all relative. And you learn to realize that as you sort of get older and experience different sides of the sport. So yeah, I'm definitely interested. I think there are other distances that I'd probably try to check off before 
getting out there. I don't know. There's a 10K before your race in, <laughs> in the North Face race, so maybe I'll try that. That's a, that's a different kind of 10K. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll take me quite a while. But yeah, I'd love to run a marathon someday, and I could see myself attempting a 50K. I don't know if I see myself going much farther than that, but I think that would, I would like to experience it definitely. And I would like to prove Justin wrong that like he thinks that I wouldn't make a great trail runner. Well, we'll see. (laughs) No, it'll be fun. It just, um, it's hard to, I don't think it's, would be easy for me to try to be like a 5k, 1500 track runner and also like good at trails. Maybe someday. I can change the goals a little. Yeah, it's hard to juggle all of those things. It's tough to be yeah. a jack of all trades in this sport. Definitely. Why don't you fill me and my listeners in on what you've been up to of late? I know you were hoping to have a track yeah. season or at least a summer racing season. Totally. And you got an Achilles niggle yeah. not that long ago. But right. catch us up on where you're at right now. Yeah, I was hoping to do a lot more racing this year. 2018 has proven to be a challenging year for me to build any type of momentum with running. And I haven't been an incredibly injury prone runner in my career, thankfully, but, um, it's been frustrating. I can't deny that there have been two buildups basically in the last 10 to 12 months that I feel like I was getting close to racing. And then something came up that prevented me from doing that. Um, and health wise, even though I am still battling cancer, the treatments that I've had this year have not really, they haven't been a huge detriment to my running. I still, I feel basically zero symptoms outside of, you know, the couple days outside of the liver directed therapies that I've had. Um, outside of that, I, I feel normal and people are very surprised to hear that. And so you, so when they think I haven't been racing, they think it's because it's more like cancer related, but it, it isn't. And that's, what's frustrating. Stupid runner stuff. Yeah. It's genuinely just running stuff. And I do think that the interruptions to my training from those like treatments here and there. And honestly, just more appointments and small things that interrupt training have, it's, been more challenging for me to get a consistent base going. There have definitely been glimmers of hope. I hope that you would vote for me on that. There have well, been. he does vote for you on that. I remember. <laughs> no, seriously, I remember. I texted. Uh, I texted Justin right before his 50k. Yeah. And was asking him how he was feeling going into the race the next day, and his reply was. Gabe just ran three by mile in five ten. I'm <laughs> I'm stoked. So yeah, I think if, totally. Yeah, I think if that's any sign of you know, of things to I don't want to say things to come, but where where yeah. where you were from a fitness yeah. standpoint, um, I think he was definitely excited about that. Yeah, definitely. So outside I was hoping to get some racing in and there's still there's still a chance that I would maybe hop into a race before the end of this year, but I think that my new approach is just trying to be more patient, which I've already like tried to be more patient. <laughs> I didn't, still didn't work out, but, um, yeah, I still have goals to race and to see what I can do. I can't necessarily predict whether I'll ever be in like true PR shape again, but there's, I do still feel like I have, um, some fitness to, to show and not even to show anyone else, but myself really just because, um, I've been through a lot. It's probably been the most challenging two years or so of my life and Justin's, but I still 
have a lot of, you know, fire for running and racing. And I think that it's important for me to still have those goals. So, so I'm working on it. I'm working on the patience side of it and also trying to, you know, figure out how to get through my health situation while not compromising too much on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, but I try to try to balance it's, it's, I think that I realized the hardest thing is that my health situation creates a, a very strong sense of urgency in my life to do the stuff that I want to do and seize the day. But it's really hard to be a smart runner and have training well, progressions that are gradual and make sense. So, well, yeah. you have to pace yourself. It's like anything yeah, else, right? Definitely. Um, otherwise, you're, you know, any of us are going to just run out of gas from exhaustion. Totally. So there, that's a challenge for me is trying to fit in what I can without getting too far ahead of myself when things are seem to be going in the right direction. So, um, yeah, trying to, instead of putting races on the schedule to get fit for, I think the new strategy is to just get fit. And then there will be, there's always a race. I think, uh, there's always a race that's like two weeks out of when you feel like you're fit. That's what I saw um, Kevin Hansen last week in Philly. And that's what he told me. So I was like, yeah, you know, that's what I'm thinking too. That's good. It's good wisdom. <laughs> yeah. There are always going to be opportunities right. out there. Can we catch yes. up a bit on your health situation? Yeah. What has the last year looked like for um, you? Just catch us up to speed. Yeah. So since 26, I mean, basically I've been dealing with the recurrence of adenoid cystic carcinoma in my liver since August of 2016. It's now... September of 2018. So since then I've had, I had a big surgery and we hope that we kind of got rid of everything that was in 2016. And then, but just six months after that, I basically found out that I wasn't clear of everything. So since then I have tried multiple therapies, including, you know, chemotherapy. And then I did a clinical trial for immunotherapy at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. That was about a year ago. I did that for three months. And you guys were making a bunch of trips to right. New York. I just know that from yeah. working with Justin. Yep. We were, we were going out there. It was pretty much, I had an infusion every two weeks for three months. And then it didn't look like that was working for me, uh, in a, I don't know. Sometimes they can't tell everything from your scans of if it's helping you or not, but it wasn't helping in a big enough way for them to keep me on the trial. Uh, so from there I've had, I had a liver directed radiation treatment in December of 2017. And then I continued the immunotherapy for a while for a few more months this year. And then they realized that I should probably just have another same sort of procedure with a, another liver directed therapy, which I had in late July this year. So that's the most recent treatment I had. That was about eight weeks ago and I'm no longer on immunotherapy. So they're just not sure if that was being effective. And so they thought it could take a break for a while. Yeah. So there's, so we're basically just uh, taking it a couple months at a time with scans. I'm not like out of the clear. I mean, maybe I am. I haven't had a scan in a while, so. Yeah. But <laughs> you feel. Good, but you feel good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I we're at the point where, I mean, the objective is to control my disease, and if something comes up that can do more than that, that would be great. But uh, just the amount of cancer I have in my liver, I don't. My liver is still functioning normally it can sort of handle a bit of volume on that side of things. But we're just trying to keep it in 
control. And that's a good thing. I mean, that's not like a glamorous um, place to be if you have cancer, but it's not the worst place. So um, yeah, I would just, I'm hoping that we can continue with some liver directed treatments. I won't be able to do the same one forever. There's like a limit to this Therosphere treatment. I think maybe I could get another one, maybe one or two more. But there's others after that too that I could also do. So that's the that's sort of the boat I'm in is just working on uh, taking life like three months at a time. <laughs> How often do the two of you in your day to day interactions talk about your disease? Probably every day. Not every day. I don't know. It really varies. Sometimes we, I think that like if we have some distractions in our life, that's always helpful. That's why we try to travel a lot. Also because I don't know, like I said, I tried, we try to fit things in. Well, you guys are great at doing stuff. I mean, you're here (laughs) now so he can run around in the woods for a couple days and you're visiting, (laughs) you know, you went to Muir Wood yesterday, you're probably going to San Francisco and visit some other places. And, you know, you were just in Philly and then you're at a ball game last week and you're hitting concert scene and all of that. So (laughs) yeah, we try to fit in a lot. So yeah, it's good. But we do, I mean, we have those like, you know, sobering moments where, I mean, I'm, it's not a great situation to be in. We're not like, we're not in like dire straits, but it's hard to know that we're really, I'm in a position where I need some advance in cancer treatment to achieve long-term survival. I think, uh, even though I feel great, it's like a really strange mental place to wrap my head around, like what my prognosis is because it could go it could go a lot of different directions. So I think we just try to take it one day at a time or three months at a time. But I think for now, it's just we try to just enjoy the fact that I feel healthy and Justin's work schedule, he's no longer a resident. So he has, you know, these chunks of time off like a week here or there so we can sort of do the fun stuff that we want to do. And for me, the most frustrating, and Justin will tell you about this, I probably complain more about like my injuries than about the cancer at this point. Cause I'm just like, ah, if I could just run, like, like I can't, yeah, I just want to run more, honestly. Like, I know I can't control the cancer outcome. I hope for the best, but I also know that I can't take anything for granted right now. Yeah. I think, um, it's just like a weird place to be, honestly. And how, how big of an outlet is running for you or how much more of an outlet has it become in the last yeah. couple of years as your situation has changed? Yeah, I think it's always been a big outlet for me, even from the very initial diagnosis, which was a long time ago at this point. But it definitely has changed over the last two years with the seriousness of my situation. Um, I think I was always someone who loved racing training. I was like fine with training and my day-to-day runs. I mean, I like loathe like an easy run because it's just boring. But I think since I've been dealing with this over the last couple of years, I, I really enjoy every run and it sounds so corny, but it's really like a time in my day that I have come to appreciate more. And I think that's something that you would hear a lot with this type of situation, but, um, I just, 
I like how I feel on a run and I can really try to sift through my emotions on a run. And I just feel like it's a, just a big stress reliever, honestly. Like we talk a lot on our runs Mm -hmm. and I just feel like I sort through a lot of the complicated emotions and I feel like more able to tackle my day after a run. So if I can't run, I'm like, ah, it just doesn't feel the same on the stationary bike for me. Well, it's also time for the two of you. I know from writing Justin's schedule, one thing I'm working around is him doing your workouts, which I'm totally fine with. (laughs) Um, But Justin, talk a little bit about that. How important is that time for you to be able to share it with Gabe and go out and I mean, in some cases you are doing these workouts where, you know, you're not running easy either, but just to spend that time together, especially given how her situation has progressed in recent years. Yeah. No, I mean, working out together is, it's definitely the highlight of my day every day or before workout. I mean, we always, we run together every day, no matter what, basically, unless she's injured. So it's me adding on and finding trails or doing whatever, but it's when you, we've run together for how many years? Eight like years. Eight years ish. And yeah. it doesn't. It's just you can run in silence for an hour, but it's just such quality, like together time that mm-hmm. even like you can just read each other's thoughts almost, and it's very therapeutic. And when one of us is injured, we obviously get stir crazy, and that makes it more stressful, probably. Mm-hmm. But doing the workouts themselves, it's. I mean. It's pretty incredible. I don't know. It's fun to like kind of hurt together and like push together and see. I mean, just share that experience. Yeah. And to uh, like sprint down to the line together. Obviously, she's more speed sided than me, but it's fun to, fun to crush some 200s and just be drooling and slobbing and falling over at the finish line. And yeah, it's just, it's a unique experience, but pretty beautiful i'd say if yeah. gabe can he take you in intervals that are less than 400 meters you know justin i feel like your speed has improved over the last few years i think it's because you trained with me so much i think that <laughs> that's speed. true actually yeah but i do still think i don't know what are like our distance that we would be i used to think it was 300 meters it might be shorter now because i think you've gotten speedier no yeah i can definitely take you in 100 maybe even it uh, you probably have made it too. But if you're, if we're both, the thing is, my fitness has been more advanced because you've had these. Injuries. Yeah, these these so injuries have not helped. If you're in prime 200 shape, I'm gonna probably bow out. Not bow out, but I feel like 100 meters to 200 meters, like we're a good match. Yeah. But Justin is a he is not he's no slouch, <laughs> even though he is a longer distance runner. Like you're still fast, definitely. There's there's some speed in those wheels. I've seen it. Yeah, I think so. Hey, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode. It's my friends at Tracksmith. Tracksmith is a Boston-based independent running brand that is inspired by our sports culture and competitive spirit, which is why it resonates a lot with me. They make high-quality and highly-considered running apparel designed by runners for specific performance needs. They're committed to the pursuit of personal excellence and seek to make products and tell stories that connect and inspire runners on their own competitive journeys. Personally, I love their Twilight Tops, which I wore for the last two Boston marathons. They're made from lightweight, breathable fabric and a race-ready cut with very subtle designs, which I certainly appreciate. 
They've recently launched their fall collection, which features styles for racing, training, and even rest days. And they're offering Morning Shakeout listeners a great promotion. If you spend $150 or more, you'll get a free Van Cortland singlet, which is valued at $65. Visit tracksmith.com slash shakeout to take advantage of this great offer. Finally, uh, I'm going to be working with Tracksmith at the Chicago and New York marathons this fall. They're hosting pop-ups at both of those events, and I'm going to be there hosting morning shakeouts. First one is going to be at the Chicago Athletic Association pop-up on Saturday, October 6th at 9.30 a.m. I'd love for you to join me. We're going to do three to five miles easy around the city before the race. We'll catch up afterward with coffee, and I may even record a live podcast. So for more details on that, Check out tracksmith.com slash shakeout. That's tracksmith.com slash shakeout. Now let's get back to the show. For those who are listening who don't know, your profession is MD. You're a doctor. Um, you work in a hospital as a hospitalist. You are very intimately aware of what your wife has been dealing with from a medical perspective. What is that like for you to know as much as you do? I think it's good and bad. It's a definite double-edged sword. It's good in the fact that um, it helps me navigate the system massively, but it's bad in the fact that I deal with a lot of hard cases all the time and young people, old people, middle-aged people that get serious illnesses, whether it's like cancer and infection, stroke, anything like that. It's hard to see, and you, I think for myself, I put myself in their situation more, which definitely makes me more compassionate, but I think it definitely still also weighs on you as a person to be putting yourself in people's shoes more and not being able to dissociate as easily. But it's good. I mean, navigating the healthcare system is nearly impossible for someone that doesn't work in it, and even if you work in it, it can be impossible. So. It's definitely an advantage. How about for you, Gabe, to know that your husband knows exactly what's going on? Do you feel like you lean on him a little bit more because of his, you know, expertise or is it comforting in some way or does it scare you to know that he knows as much as he does about what it is that you're going through? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's a good thing. Honestly, I feel bad that Justin has to. I feel like you have these like triggers sometimes at work when you see like when Justin has to, you know, see those really bad cancer cases throughout his day. And then we're trying to like stay positive for my sake and for our sake. I think that's hard. And so I think, yeah, that's the biggest challenge. But I do appreciate that Justin can translate a lot of the the different medical terms to me. And I think I, I feel like a more competent patient because I have Justin that, who I can ask questions to that I might not ask my doctor. I feel pretty comfortable asking my doctor questions, but Justin's always somebody that if, yeah, it's nice to have a resource with you 24 hours a day, but, um, maybe sometimes we talk too much about the specific medical, medical things, but I don't know. Overall, I think it's, a good thing. And particularly being a rare cancer patient, it's just like, it's just like another layer of the web of the medical system, just trying to find like the right doctor and feeling confident that you are working with someone who is going to try to help you. Um, it's 
obviously taken us a little bit of time to figure out how to do that. And when I was 22 years old, when I was first diagnosed, I look back and I just think that there's so many, like, I could have just been a better patient, but now I feel like we are more equipped to advocate from, for me and hopefully share that information with other people too. And cause I know that I'm definitely not the only person in the world going through this. And sometimes that's comforting, but sometimes that just makes me feel sad also. So I just try to try to share what I can about what I've learned. And I hope that it'll be easier for people in the future. Honestly. Let's lighten things up a bit. When did you guys meet? Freshman year at the University of Minnesota. (laughs) In the arms, I guess. We have different meeting stories. That was 2004. Who noticed too? That's hard to say. So we initially met like in the dorm hall where you're like, hey, I'm so like walking door to door. So I didn't really notice much at that moment. But later in the week, I think we were out at the like basketball or volleyball courts. It's it's called. So there's four dorms. It's. It's like a quad type area. Yeah, the super block where all the freshmen live. And I noticed Gabe and her like down to the knees basketball shorts and her spunky attitude and immediately competitiveness. So (laughs) I don't get the vibe that you two are competitive at all. (laughs) So (laughs) rolling my eyes on the other side of the table. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that's fair. That was the first time you caught my eye. We didn't start dating for a, bit. a while. Yeah. Yep. Winding road. Justin came to college with a girlfriend. Well, she wasn't at school. But Were you no. guys dating by the time you left Minnesota? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. But yeah, it wasn't like the time. I think we started dating like more seri- like serious ish, like beer. Yeah. yeah. Something. Yep. I like to think we were friends friends first. Yep. <laughs> and then you were Diagnosed with cancer for the first time at 22, right. I think you said. So that would have been right out of school. What was that moment like for you guys? Senior Sorry, year. I tried to lighten things up yeah. and then all of a sudden I, I, well, I go yeah, heavy again. Yeah, we'll go fine. all over the place. Yeah. I appreciate well, we your were, openness and talking about it. Yeah. We were fifth years. Yep. We were both fifth years. And so you, yeah, that was an interesting year. So we were both, fifth, we both had a fifth year. I don't know. I was. We're both both in Arizona. Yes. So I got like, basically I just had a a very unusual sort of small bump on my neck that I got uh, a fine needle biopsy of. Um, We thought that I saw the training room initially at the University of Minnesota. And that's what you do when you have like like a sickness or something. So they thought that maybe it would be like a swollen lymph node or I don't know, just something not that serious, but they thought it was strange. So I did go ahead and see the ENT clinic at the U, but I think we got the results of the biopsy and I was at a track meet. So I got those results over the phone, which I feel like they don't, they wouldn't usually do that over the phone. It's very interesting. It's an interest. Yeah. Cause now nobody will give me any information over the phone. And quite frankly, I would just like it over the phone at this point. I would like, actually, I would just like a, I would like a letter. <laughs> That's all I want, an email. <laughs> um, but yeah, fortunately, when I got that news, I had, you were, you guys were staying in a different hotel, but I had my coach there and my teammates, 
But it was strange, not going to lie. You know, we didn't know that. No, we didn't. But so, yeah, they called me and they told me, we think it's adenoid cystic carcinoma. We don't, we want to do your surgery like next Thursday. And there's a chance that you'll have radiation therapy over the summer. If we find, if we can't like get it all or get negative margins. So I basically knew that my season was ending essentially. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I Googled the disease in the lobby um, and <laughs> I remember it's still probably like one of the most terrifying things I've ever done because, I mean, of course, I had never heard of this and I had very little experience with cancer even in my life at that point. And this and is then, an extremely rare cancer. Yeah, extremely rare. And essentially you know, the main facts are that it's incurable. There are no effective treatments, which that hasn't really changed since I was diagnosed in 2009. And that it has a high, very, very high chance of recurrence. Even, I mean, the unusual thing about ACC, I mean, there are some cancers that are like this, but a lot of people think if you don't have a recurrence of your cancer within five years, that that's great. Then you're in remission and your odds of having it come back are much lower. But with ACC, it's almost opposite. It's very rare for it to sort of come. It comes back. It's actually the odds of it coming back. After a long period of time. Yeah. I mean, five year year survival rate is high, but after that is much more blurry. So the way that I looked at that was like, okay, this is not good. So I just need to live my life. And I took that five-year inter- interval that I saw on the internet and I ran with it, like literally, literally and figuratively. I just took some comfort in the fact that, like, eh, I probably won't. You know, this is not good, but I was hopeful that maybe this just like won't come back. You know, and I think it was it's just a strange situation. And I, like I said, I and then I went through the treatment and everything, and I still felt pretty normal and trying to get back into my normal. 20 something year old life, but, and that's what I did for five years. There's a lot of, you know, stories and adventure within those five years. But what I didn't have was like, I didn't have a plan for how I was going to approach like once I met that five year mark. So that was interesting. You strike me as a very optimistic person in general. Where does that come from? I, I don't know. I, I think I've always been an a mainly positive person. And I think I appreciate optimism and I I do think I try to be realistic, but with a positive spin on it. Um, I know that my situation is, is definitely not ideal and I don't try to paint it any, any other way because I think it's important for me to be realistic about what I can expect out of this. But I don't know. My my personality, I think, I guess, maybe my parents, I'm sure they had some influence. I'm sure they can take some credit for that. But I also think, you know, I grew up with faith and I do think that my life has a purpose and maybe it's not what I thought it was going to be. But I think that that does help me at some at some junctures with this disease is just that like, you know, it's, this isn't how I would have chosen my life to turn out at all, but you know, maybe there's, maybe this is my way of sort of fulfilling my life's purpose and 
trying to raise awareness for these rare diseases that really do, they really actually need it. And I would never have like raised my hand to do this, but someone has to. So, and you know, there are people who, who are doing it and I guess I just am trying to use my life in a positive way because it really, it's just important for me to do my best with this situation. And that's just something that I feel like I've just, I've been like that my whole life. I don't know. I don't know when it first started. When did that become kind of a main focus for you, meaning to continue to to raise awareness for rare cancers and to be an advocate for those who are suffering from diseases similar to yours? Was that something that happened right away after that initial diagnosis or did it take a few years to get there? I think it took a while. From the start, though, this has been very public and I mean, I was a division one athlete and so my story was covered right away and I didn't really see the point of trying to, to hide anything or not talk about it. But I do think that for those first few years of being a new cancer survivor and trying to establish myself as a professional runner, I definitely didn't always want to talk about it. And I didn't want to just be like the cancer pro runner girl. And I didn't like that, but I think as I've gotten older and particularly since my recurrence um, and just the new seriousness of my situation, I've embraced it a lot more. I'm just, I just realized that I'm at this point in my disease. Like there's, I don't even know. I don't even know how to, I don't know if I've like just, I just have realized that there's not a lot of people talking about it, but that's because, you know, these diseases are rare, even though some statistics would say that up to 50% of cancer patients are fighting a rare cancer right now. But they're just by the statistics, there's not going to be a lot of public people talking about it. So, I mean, it's not a good situation. I don't know how many times I've already said that. (laughs) So I don't need to say that again. But the best thing that could come out of someone like me having this disease would be a greater amount of awareness. And if I can put that awareness into, you know, raising money for research and just supporting the people who are trying to. And if you don't do anything, not a lot of people are. So. Yeah, that's true. You have to. Yeah. Your options are to be depressed and stay in bed and not do anything. Yeah. Like beat a drum and try to survive. Well, and I also feel like if I can't be like the best, fastest pro runner that I wanted to be. And I had those like big dreams on the track and I like inched my way towards some of those goals, but now those are less important to me. They're not completely gone, but it's like, this is probably something that's more important and it gives my day-to-day life and my running a greater purpose than I had before. Yeah. It's really interesting because I just talked to Lauren Fleshman for my last episode of the podcast and her situation is obviously very different than yours. She just retired from right. pro running. She's like, I never made it to the Olympics, which is for someone in my situation is always the goal. But I realized I didn't need to become an Olympian to have a platform to get my message out. Totally. Um, and it sounds like you've come to a very similar realization in your own case. Not that yeah. you won't be an Olympian. I hope you are. Um, <laughs> I, I hope you still keep competing. I mean, you still have, the you still have fast, survivor Olympics, but you still have fast, you still have fast legs. You never know. Yeah. But beyond that, if the, if it doesn't happen, right. I mean, the work that, you know, you've done, and I want to talk about your foundation and all of that stuff too, um, has gotten that message out. And as Justin said, like no one else is doing it. Um, yeah. so it's, you know, it's, it's important that you've picked up that role. 
Yeah. And I just feel like exactly what you said. Professional runners feel like they have, you know, a small platform or no platform, but I, I don't know. I feel like if you choose to have a message, you can have a platform. And I do feel like my platform is like, you know, it's pretty small as a professional runner compared to other sports, but it is still a platform and still reaches a lot of people. Absolutely. So if there's something that you're passionate about, it's, it's like a, it's like a calling, (laughs) it's a duty. And I feel like the main thing is like, if I didn't talk about it, it would be like doing an injustice to this cause. And that's how I feel. It's like, I can't not talk about it because if I don't like, if someone like me doesn't make it a cause and doesn't bring a voice to this community. Like I can't expect other people to. to. So hopefully other people will speak up since I am. (laughs) That's the hope. Yeah. I think it's hugely important that you're sharing your story and you continue to beat the drum. Let's talk about this. Yeah. I've got my brave like Gabe t-shirt on, uh, which is you had the virtual 5k. It's a great t-shirt, 50, 50 blend. (laughs) Um, I don't think they're for sale anymore. So I'm not trying to pitch anything on you out there in podcast world. There will be things for sale though. Um, But tell me about your foundation and the launch of it and how long you had been thinking about putting that out into the world. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, we I basically have been launching the Brave Like Gabe Foundation, which supports rare cancer research. And the objective is to also empower all cancer survivors through physical activity. Um, it's a definitely a labor of love for me. And it really just combines the probably the the two biggest parts of my journey, which are not at all just unique to me, but those are the main things that I feel like need greater awareness. Not everyone knows somebody who's going through a rare cancer diagnosis, but they definitely need some help on the research funding side of things, like a lot of diseases. There are so many worthy causes in the world, and I just feel like if everyone picked picks a few. That's great. Um, but rare cancers are definitely behind the eight ball in terms of just like the federal funding that they can get to, to do clinical trials. And so I just have wanted to be a part of that, but more importantly, just connecting with the community of runners and people who experience cancer diagnosis and want to stay physically active and keep running. So that has been also pretty awesome, but honestly, we're still, we're still in like the launching phase. We have a lot of ideas, but I've been fortunate to get support from the running community. And I just wanted to sort of organize that support to kind of reflect that away from myself and more so into the causes that I'm passionate about and the other people who I can connect with who are making a difference. I think I've been inspired a lot by Cycle for Survival, which I'm a patient at a couple different places, but Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York has they've made like a really big commitment to fundraising for rare cancers and doing the clinical trials. And they have done how many, six, six or seven clinical trials on On my cancer, which none of which have like ended in a promising treatment, unfortunately, but the fact that they're They're trying, trying. yeah. And they're doing that for lots of other rare cancers, not just mine, but it is really heartening to see some cancer centers like lean into that. So I've been inspired by that to try to just organize some way for me to feel like I can give back to the cause. And I don't know if there's enough time necessarily for research advances to help me, but I do think that I believe in like scientific progress. And I do think that if more research is done, that 
patients like me in the future will feel a lot more hopeful when they get their diagnosis. Not necessarily that they're maybe going to have a cure and live till they're a hundred, but just that there will be treatments and there's some path. There's something down the line that could help you like, and just having those treatments to maybe bridge you to the next one. Like it's kind of like living a life, not free of cancer, but just living with it. And I think that cancer and hopefully that will include rare cancers. Um, it will become like a, I mean, this does not sound glamorous once again, like a chronic disease that is treatable, but I think that that's kind of, that would be a good goal for a lot of cancers. And so even on that side of things, I do think people will start living longer with cancer, but with that, there's challenges in getting back into your daily life and keeping those healthy routines like exercise, which is really hard to, to maintain. I mean, my, my story, even though it's been a bummer for me, but it's like a real story and experiencing cancer and that it is hard. Like I keep running, but I'm far from as fit as I've ever been. So, I mean, I think more and more cancer centers will also start, you know, hopefully having somebody on staff or at least resources for how to maintain a proper level of physical activity, just because it's going to help your body over the long term, probably help your prognosis, honestly, the healthier that you can stay because it's it going to knock you down at some point for a while. But these are just, yeah, all aspects of cancer that I'm interested in and would just like to contribute to the progress. Question for both of you. Have you been surprised by the outpouring of support, not just from the running community, but others as well, since your story has become more public in the last couple of years? <laughs> I think definitely. I mean, the running community in itself is amazing, which I think we all already knew. It's a it's a small group of people, like the super running community, but it's still a massive group of people, like the running community as a whole. And oddly enough, he asked when, like, you finally got that, like, kick in the butt to get Brave we Like Gabe going. But, yeah. but it was, like, this idea and this thought, and we were, like, ruminating over it. And we're running in Central Park, and there's Chip Gaines, who... I'm, we don't like to name drop. But. Yeah, no, but I had no idea. You should name drop. Yeah. Chip Gaines is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Some guy that I thought was a homeless guy on a bench in oh. Central Park yells at me and just says, you look fast, and it's like... Sweet, thanks, dude. Like, don't get so you didn't recognize him. He recognized you guys. I've never gotten this story. No, he didn't even recognize. Well, not recognize you, but he he just yelled at you. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Saw a scrawny, skinny guy running by doing his like last workout before North Face fifty k, maybe. Yeah. And yelled, "You look fit," and I said, "Thanks." And then he said, "How long would it take a fat guy like me to run a marathon?" And I said, "Like time or training." And you kept running, though. Yeah, and I kept running. He said, "Training." I said, four months." Four months is aggressive, Justin, for someone who's not running. I know. So I picked up Gabriel on the corner. Yeah. We're south end of Central Park because I did my loop, my six miles. And then she was going to do six miles. Yeah. Yeah. And we're walking through getting GPS. And I think Chip yells, hey, it's you again. That's your wife. You said, oh, is this your your wife? Yeah. And then Gabriel's like, hey, Chip. And I'm like, oh, she knows this guy. So he must have recognized me but justin just thought chip and i knew each other like casually not that he was a like hgtv reality star you figured it out later but yes 
But Justin was still confused when we had like a maybe a five minute conversation with Chip about running. Yeah. So the long, the big running community is this. He's an athlete, definitely. Yes. But I don't think other than punishment and younger sports, he'd run a step in his life. But something sparked his mind that day, and he's like, "I want to run a marathon." How did yeah? How did that conversation evolve from the initial interaction? I've never heard this story, so I'm really interested in it. It was very odd. It was just he said, "You look fit," and then asked me that question, and then he's like, "Hey, like today, I decided I think I want to run a marathon." And then Gabriel's like, "Oh, I'm a," I said, "Oh, my wife's a professional runner," and he's like, "Oh, like that exists basically." Yes. He, I think Chip had definitely had an interest in running before he stopped us. But yes, he stopped us. We did not stop him. But um, he had so many questions and a great curiosity about running, particularly a marathon. I think he was just looking for his next challenge in life. They were. I think they had just wrapped that season five of their kind of final season of Fixer Upper. And he was like, what's next? And... I guess it was going to be running. We didn't, I told him I had never run a marathon or anything, but that I was a professional runner. And I just said like, you can do it. Cause I mean, he can do it. I mean, Oprah has done it. Like so many people, you can do it. Like even if there's walking involved. So we basically just said, you know, if you need any advice or if you really want to do this, like let us keep us posted and we'd love to help you because we were like, we love running and we think you would love running too. I don't know. And then fast forward a bit, you ended up coaching <laughs> yeah. him. Yes. So we How'd that happen? Yeah. I, I think I, I got a picture with Chip with his like assistance phone. So he had my number in his phone and he texted me the photos and we took, kept in touch like a little bit between that was October. So between October and December, I think this was just like ruminating in Chip's mind and they were figuring out what they wanted to do. But yeah, basically they were like, Chip wants to run a marathon. And he came across your story. Yes. Well, that was after though. Right. Yes. But, but did he come across it on his own? Just as he was like, who is this game? <laughs> Grunwald. Well, kind not too, well, after the, after we left that day, I had his assistant. Well, I was texting with the assistant and I said, just so you know, like, this is me. I'm a pro runner. Like, if you have any interest in my story, I think I sent him an, a link to the Sports Illustrated article. The Tim Layden that Tim article. Layden wrote. Right. Yep. And I sent him the Brooks, the link to the Brooks documentary. And I was like, no pressure at all. I'm not trying to, like, I don't want to, like, just... Yeah, I wasn't trying to be annoying, but I just wanted them to know, like, I do have a story. If you want to get together, want to run for research or help me with this cause, like, this is my life. Um, so I think that just they I think they read the article and kind of went from there. Hopefully that made it seem like, a you know, having a cause to run for, I think, is something that resonates with Chip and Joanna. They are the type of people who want to kind of spread goodwill in the world and contribute to causes that are meaningful. So and just to so fast forward a bit, well. he created his own race. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Yes. The silo district marathon. The first one happened in May. So I coached, coached chip. Um, he had not been really training. So that was the first time that I had even Justin helped me. We made like, we tried to and make he took four months very seriously. Yeah, he did. He didn't, he didn't want to start running at all before that four month interval began. So it was like the new year basically. So I went just, so when he told me that he was like, 
I want to do a marathon in May. I was like, oh my gosh, Justin, he took four. I was like, it would be great to have like six <laughs> months, but, but no big deal. Four months is fine. We can get there. Yeah. yeah. We started with a one mile run. Yeah. Or like a point two. That was his thing was like point two at a time. He was going to get it done. 26.2. Yeah. Right. It's all about that point, you know, a little progress one day at a time. But I think he is a type of guy who's very committed once he says he's going to do something and he did enjoy the process of becoming a runner. I think maybe the marathon was a little bit too long to be like incredibly enjoyable. But I do think that my main goal for Chip was for him to not hate running because he was new to running. I mean, he played baseball at Baylor years ago. So he's an athlete. He's an athlete. Yeah. But running is different. And so for him going from not running at all to completing 26.2 in four months was a big task but he did it and actually by the end i don't think that his finishing time really reflects fully his fitness that he had he really progressed by it the was end 90 degrees it was really hot i mean and he ran, he ran in his pants and pants. a tool belt, like tool a, belt yeah. so yes he you know the marathon wasn't challenging enough for him but and i don't know if he has any desire to but i really feel like chips marathon potential time would be it would be a little faster if he wanted to go for it. But he found like the five to six mile run very enjoyable, like a part of his day that he liked. I think he he one thing that was surprising was I suggested immediately that he get like a GPS watch and he could join, you know, Strava and I could follow his runs. But he was like, nope, like he followed his roots with his truck Gross. that he he would drive his truck to see how far he went or before he ran and he would like look I at the, he would look at the clock on the wall before he left and when he came back so i mean very old school that's how a lot of us started but that's, i was like that's a good yeah. yeah exactly that's the way we all started so i was like yeah that's it, i didn't expect that but it's a cool story but i think it's good honestly to just run by feel and yeah have I, you stayed in touch with him yeah I mean, they are celebrities, so, you know, we don't hear from them, like, every day. <laughs> we don't text with them. But, yes, we we know that the Silo District Marathon, like, second year is happening. We'll continue. Yeah, because cool. at the end of April. Will it still raise money yeah, for rare cancer research? It will research? still, you know, it's going to benefit Bravely Gabe Foundation. They and rare can- bigger, yeah. Yes, and they're, they're working on making it bigger and better, I think. Yeah, it's really cool to see them bring that energy that they they bring to the other side of their career into running. It was special to be there for that. It, yeah, and one of the most special parts, I'd say, was this is Waco, Texas, where even talking to, like, some of the producers, like, these, it's a great group of people. Like, the Magnolia crew, everyone that, like, is on the show, like, you go down there and your family all of a sudden, which is remarkable. but. They're like, it's so weird. Like, there's actually people out on the bike paths, like, jogging. We've never seen that in Waco. And, like, it cre- I mean, it did change the culture a little bit. It and there were, yeah. there were thousands, probably, of first-time five cares, like, in their life, there which was, is pretty cool. It's for- amazing. Yes, I'd like to defend Waco a little bit. Like, Baylor University exists. They have had great runners. And so people do run in Waco, Texas. And they have even before this. Yes. But I do think it motivated and it It sparked something. It reached a crowd of first time runners. Yeah, that wouldn't necessarily have 
wanted to have any interest completing a 5k or half or whatever. And even, yeah, so it was fun to follow his journey on like his social media because it was just like, oh, if Chip can do it, like I'm going to do it. And I think it's cool because he took on a new challenge and he inspired a whole different group of runners, runners who don't follow me, you know? And I think it was cool to just see how many people he brought into the running community and a lot of people who had a really good experience there and will hope will come back. And I think that's a really, it's a really cool thing when you can grow the running community and not every, not every single community, like we're from Minneapolis, the Twin Cities in Motion does a great job. There's lots of events throughout the year. New York Roadrunners, tons of races. But that's not the case everywhere. Exactly. So I think it's great to see these events go to places where there's a few running events, but that could use a little boost um, for the whole community. And it's good for them. It's good for, you know, I think it's good for public health to, you know, have people have these new fitness goals and just take on new challenges in life. It's inspiring. It's it's kind (laughs) of cliche because i'm not the one who came up with this but if everyone were a runner the world would be a much better place it, it, i think it would be on so many levels <laughs> healthcare costs would go down well healthcare sleep. costs would go down people would be nicer to yeah. each other people would stress levels stress around. levels would go down totally. they would do more things together um we have to wrap here in a minute because my wife christine is going to make dinner very soon and i'd hate to push that off even further but one thing you had said gabe is that you guys tend to look at your life in like three months ahead what do the next three months look like for Gabe and Justin Grunewald? And you can both answer this question. Yeah, you can start. <laughs> it, uh, it's hard. Well, we so, love fall. I will say this yeah. is my favorite, favorite time of year. We can start with that. Uh, yeah, no matter what, the next three months are going to be great. We have, as you, I mean, North Face is coming up in November. almost exactly two months yes we have a trip to colorado to see our favorite band the national celebrate our wedding anniversary in october at red rocks amphitheater in october yeah um but the three-month thing it's weird because it's kind of based on like doctor's appointments or something and those doctor's appointments are probably right around the corner so we don't exactly know but no matter what we have a lot of fun stuff planned in the next three months yeah i mean and getting gabe fit is yeah, it's funny because the three month interval, it is like the usual for, you know, if you're, if you have active cancer or disease like this, they're going to take you down to three month intervals instead of a year or six months. But three months is also the, the right interval, I think, for getting solid fitness. 12 weeks is, of training. Right. Yeah. So it is kind of funny. So like, yeah, I think I have like a, a little hurdle to jump with in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a better picture of that. But regardless, I think we kind of, we have a vague idea of what's coming and it probably won't be any, I don't envision any huge changes to my treatment. Yeah. So what it will look like is, I mean, I'm hoping to get back into running like slowly, but surely Justin, well, I'll follow Justin around his trail training. Um, we do love fall. Fall in Minnesota is, is glorious usually unless winter comes like, at Halloween, which we hope it doesn't, but no, we love fall. We'll just probably just keep living our life. And we like to just keep scheduling new trips on the, on the schedule, just because that gives us small things to look forward to that we can put within the three month intervals. But I think, yeah, I'm hoping to just continue. I've got some brave light game goals that I'd like to keep working on throughout this fall. And, and really, I think we just want to, get some racing in in 2019 for me um 
Yeah, but we're just trying to take it one day at a time. And honestly, friends, family, running, fun stuff, enjoy the weather, and then escape winter. Escape winter. That'll be the next thing after this interval. Yeah, totally. Well, and then assuming everything's going well for you and you're getting back into training, then you can go to a warm weather training camp somewhere and get away from that Minnesota winter. Definitely. Um, Last question is going to go to Justin. So we'll turn the mic his way. Um, If anyone listening to this could take one thing away from your wife's story, what would you hope that is? I think there's probably, there's a life takeaway and then a medical takeaway. I think the life takeaway is everyone, whether you're perfectly healthy or not healthy, living life in like shorter increments, not always living life. Like I always compare to like saving for retirement. Like I'm not saving for retirement because when I'm 70, I'm going to be decrepit and my knees aren't going to work and using a walker and then I won't need much to do. So we along with living life in three month intervals, like we have fun every three months. Like you need something that really brings you enjoyment because day-to-day life is hard. Like whether you work and have a great job you love or have a job you hate, you need an escape. And I think just not taking life for granted and not getting like into the cubicle where you're there every day for a year and never like looking out, you just have to like go enjoy nature and do stuff every once in a while. But the other thing is, I think medically, just always knowing that you should be asking a million questions, you should be looking for answers. You should, and people, Gabriel has people that contact her. Like, there's, and it's great when you're open about your story, and like when people says like, "Oh my gosh, I read your story now, I can share mine." But everyone does have a ton of information. Just like sharing information, like Mario shares all this coaching information with me. I'm like, that workout's crazy. I would have never thought of that, but the medical information is so vast and so shareable, but you just have to ask people and ask your doctors and you have to really be an advocate for yourself always in those respects. Cool. It's a great place to end it. Thank you guys so much for the chat. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. And that's a wrap on this week's show, which was brought to you by Tracksmith. Tracksmith is a Boston-based independent running brand that celebrates our sports culture and competitive spirit. They also make high-quality and highly-considered running apparel that I personally use and enjoy. I run my last two Boston marathons in a Tracksmith Twilight singlet. It's super lightweight. It is very subtly designed, and it is my go-to singlet for race day. Tracksmith is running a great promotion right now for Morning Shakeout listeners. If you go to tracksmith.com shakeout and spend $150 or more, they will send you a free, absolutely free Van Cortland singlet, which is valued at $65, and it's one of their original pieces of apparel. I've got two or three of them in my own drawer. I wore them throughout the summer, and I think you will love adding one to your own collection. Tracksmith is also going to be at both the Chicago and New York City marathons this fall, and I will be joining them to lead a couple shakeout runs. First one is coming up here very soon in Chicago. It will be on Saturday, October 6th at 9.30 a.m. from the Chicago Athletic Association, and I would love for you to join me for a few miles, followed by some coffee and maybe even a live recording of the podcast. Of details on the New York City shakeout here in a couple weeks, so stay tuned for that. You can check that out as well at tracksmith.com slash shakeout. 
Finally, thanks to all of you for listening in. Appreciate your support of the show. I love that you share it with others. I hope you continue to do so. And if you would and haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to audio and leave a rating and a review. Only takes a few seconds, but helps other listeners find the show. And it means a ton to me. Finally, thank you to John Summerford of BearsRecords.com. He is the man behind the scenes that makes the show sound as good as it does week in and week out. And I'm super grateful for all his help. That's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraley, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Mm-hmm.